Welcome to episode number eight of the Road to Success podcast. My name is Maddie Lovell, and today I am chatting with the first New Zealander to successfully row the Atlantic Ocean solo, Mr. Isaac Geeson. episode number nine of the Road to Success podcast. Once again, as always, thank you so much for listening. Today, I am chatting with Isaac Geeson, the first ever New Zealander to row across the Atlantic Ocean solo. What a feat as well. 70 days it took him. Well, it's a hell of a story. He's a great guy as well. We talk about everything from his training and planning. We talk about his actual trip and what those 70 days consists of. We talk about some of the challenges he faced both in the planning and on the actual row itself. We talk about the mindset and the, I guess the, the mental fortitude it requires to paddle a seven-meter boat across an ocean. We talk about some of the things that helped him on his journey. We talk about a whole bunch of things. He's a great guy. It's an interesting story, and he's got a really, really inspiring mission as well. Enjoy the podcast. Isaac Geeson, mate, welcome to the podcast. All right, thank you very much, Matt. Well, firstly, I guess congratulations for being the first New Zealander to row the Atlantic solo, but secondly, welcome to the podcast. All right, thank you. Mate, what an unbelievable effort. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and that was good fun. Really enjoyed it. Good fun. I don't know if many people would consider 70 days in a seven-metre boat in the middle of the ocean good fun, but you obviously enjoyed it? Yeah, I guess you had to enjoy it because you put yourself there. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it totally was a choice. Hey, look, if we rewind and we sort of go back to the start, you know, I understand this adventure was sort of two years in the making. Yeah. What were you doing before that? So, I was out in the Canaries learning how to sail. I was, yeah, getting my yacht masters. And then I kind of we went to the bar where they all leave from and I saw the writing up about it. And I was like, did some Googling. I was like, oh, that kind of sounds like a yeah, good idea. And then kind of shut that idea down and then went off to. Croatia and worked for mid sailors, so for Tiller Skipper holidays, where I was doing the cooking, cleaning, hosting, tour guide, and driving the boats. And then worked 90 days and kind of had enough of it. So then I went back to the Canaries just to help better myself because I thought to go teach people how to sail. And then we did two weeks out there and we saw the people leave. And when we were out there seeing the people leave from Lagomera at the Marina Wall, we saw a little short Scottish guy called Levin Brown. And he's nuggety, but you always think there's something else behind him because you just look at him and he looks like he's eating pies, but he's done something a bit more. Yeah. Um, and then he told us he's rode the Atlantic seven times and then the ocean once. So I just kind of looked him up and down and go, oh, yeah, if you can do it, a Kiwi can. Yeah. And then from there was, yeah, <laughs> the birth of it. Really yeah, good yeah, idea. Totally. Well, so what were you doing? You, like, you, obviously, you're a Kiwi. Yeah. But you were in. You obviously just have, have had a love for the ocean for a long time, and you were, you said you were over in in Antigua anyway. Yeah, or Canary Islands. Uh, Canary Islands. Just learning to sail, was it? That was yeah. the idea. Yeah, idea. Well, I've just finished my studies, so I was off for an OE. So I finished yeah. my um, degree in viticulture and winemaking. Yeah, and then made much wine. Yeah, I've made a bit. Yeah, yeah. since finishing, no, no, none. Yeah, nothing. I've yeah. got a passion in the water. Yeah. So I guess I've been a lifeguard since I was fourteen, and been doing surf life saving since I was nine. So yeah, I've always just had a love for it. Yeah. And so then you you see them doing it, you sort of write it off, and you go over back to Croatia, and you start having a, a good time again or working, and then you sort of give it a second guess. So you're right, oh, I'm going to do it. And what's the first step from there? I guess the first step was to figure out if I was going to do it with someone. And then I realised it would be like herding a cat, so uh, to try find someone. So it was easy just to do it by myself. And then I realised that I'll be the first Kiwi to do it solo. So I was like, oh yeah, another reason. 
And then I guess a lot of people doing it for charities. And there was one team called Roe for James who lost a brother to suicide. And for me, it's kind of made sense. Well, I've lost my auntie and two mates to suicide before that. So I was like, well, might as well talk about the issue that we have in New Zealand because mm-hmm. there's not many people doing that. Yeah, totally. So it was, it was you'd already been affected by suicide before you decided to do the row. Yeah. Yeah, all right. And then, and we'll come back to that later on, but as far as we just sort of unwind the mission a little bit, so then you come back to New Zealand? No, so I stayed in the Canaries for a bit and started doing a business plan. I guess I had to tell my family. And my brother also helped, came on board a wee bit more because he knew I was dyslexic. So he kind of said, yeah, kind of pointed me in the right direction of what I needed to do. And then from there, I had to go learn how to row. So I ended up um, going to London and stayed with a friend there at his family's place. And um, I emailed four or five clubs and some of them just laughed me out and they said, your idea is absolutely stupid. I was, yeah. Tell me about that email. So it's like, <laughs> hi, my name's Isaac. I'm from New Zealand. I would like to row the Atlantic by myself. I've never rowed before. Can you help? Yeah, give or take. I said I was a surf lifeguard, so I've been around water, so I knew what was going on and been a kayaker on flat water sprint. I had a lot yeah. of water knowledge. Yeah. And it was just, you know, give us time in the boat and some oars and yeah. give us a wee bit of coaching. That's all I really need. And these guys were just, yeah. Yeah, and someone took you on, obviously? Yeah, so I found the youngest rowing club on the Thames, uh, Team King, and they've just, yeah, they said, yep, yeah, come down. Let's saw me what I did. It's like, yeah, come down more and just do some more. And, yeah, they're all a good bunch of people down there, really. Yeah, and so where to next from there? Well, I ended up having to come home because <laughs> I went to Germany um, and Sweden to help Dad out with work. And when I came back and tried to come back into the UK, I didn't have a working visa or proper visa because I was just on a you know, holiday visa so they kind of they sent me home so I came back for um, six weeks where I caught up from my old kite coaches ended up going back to the old weightlifting gym I was at Olympic lifting gym and then I also met up with Hayden Cohen down at the rowing club one day who's Hayden sorry he's Nathan Cohen's older brother so Hayden is um, an ex-world champion role okay yep so I was quite handy to just kind of double. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> quite handy to jump on a boat and learn from someone. So we were out there for four or five weeks, just rowing in the morning for yeah. about an hour or two or so. Yeah. And then I went back to London just to, because the, yeah, the boat was there. And also at this, this time, I was also talking to Levin Brown, mm-hmm. a short Scottish guy. He was just helping me with what I had to do next or find sourcing me a boat and everything. Yeah. So you had a boat now? Yeah. Or kind of, we knew you had a boat in mind and then... And the whole background of it all, we are still trying to f- sort out charities and social media and stuff. Well, I kind of sort out the social media domain and stuff. And um, brother had the idea of let's make a promo video for it all. So m- making a promo video and then trying to line a charity that liked what our message was. So the two Australian ones were quite easy to get on board. They were, yeah, straight on. Two Australian charities? Yeah, yeah. two Australians. So Black Dog Institute, they do a lot of research into depression and bipolar and mental health mm-hmm. and also on their on their website you can go and do a survey to find out if you've got bipolar or depression mm-hmm. and yeah it's an easy way of doing the first step of trying to get some help and sorting yourself out yeah so they jumped on board and you've got a video yeah and brave hearts as well in australia so yep. prevention of sexual assault on kids happy kids happy adults yeah which all makes sense really there yeah and then yeah for new zealand charity or sister but Harder to find, I guess. Yeah. And so so you've got a couple of Australian charities. You're in London. You've got a boat lined up. You've got some people helping you. What Where to next? I guess it was just trying to, I guess, launch the promo video mm. after we found the New Zealand charity after sorting all that stuff out. 
And then from there was just, I guess, sorting out calorie plan, food and stuff out there. I guess talking to some more old rowers mm -hmm. about what they would recommend for doing. And then I was going up and down to from Scotland where the boat builder was to see the boat and find out what I needed and strip the boat and everything like that. Yeah. And so this is all over about a two-year period, is it? This is one year. One year, yeah. So this is 2017. Yeah. And then so you've got, got everything lined up. You've entered the event, I assume, which yeah. is a year in advance. Nah, not really. So I was supposed to go in 2017. Okay. The end of it. So I ended up getting the boat ready, found all the funds, or got a huge loan, I guess, of parents. Yeah. And then went to the Canaries, got there, and I guess the boat builder or whatever was going on was, yeah, telling me one thing in one year and wasn't doing the other thing in the other. Yeah. And then that kind of started showing itself quite well. When I was in the Canaries, because the boat was half ready and had about 30 things to do and everything, and I had to do requirements for Atlantic campaigns, so the whole underlying people for the whole event that yeah. I was entered in. Safety stuff. Yeah, safety just had to do about 72 yeah. hours in the boat, yeah. which I hadn't done, and yeah. they there was no... Because your boat wasn't ready. Yeah, the boat do. wasn't ready, so I couldn't do it in London or England, and we thought we could do it out there, but they had so much work to do, and then also the weather wasn't playing ball, yeah. so there's a lot of onshore winds, a lot of Kalimas were coming through. We were supposed to leave on the Tuesday, and they told me on the Sunday that I wasn't allowed to go with the fleet until I've done all my hours. Yeah. So they left, I think they ended up leaving two days later because the wind or weather was quite bad. And then they left the fleet. I was doing the hours and then there was two solos that were struggling 30 miles off the coast. Yeah. They was getting stuck in the headwinds or a bit of a whirlpool, whirly, yeah. whirly stuff going on. So they ended up let one boat go one day at like lunchtime. And then at four o'clock they pulled me in and I had like 10 hours left before I was allowed to go with the pre-required hours and they said, no, nah, you can't do it. Really? You can't go because the weather's packing in and uh, come back next year. Frustrating, eh? Yeah, it's <laughs> frustrating is that word, yeah, I guess. So what do you do? Ended up going home, really. Well, I had Christmas in the communities with some old sailing instructor and then you came home and got a phone call from the boat builder leaving saying some crew are needing you uh, or needing – yeah, some crew to go from Portugal to the States mm -hmm. via Cuba. So I was like, yeah, might as well jump on that boat. Let's get some training in. Yeah. Build the base. <laughs> um, when you say training, you're talking about rowing training. Or I guess ocean rowing training, yeah. you know, learn yeah. what's going on. Yeah, so, so you, you rowed from Portugal to? Cuba. Cuba. Yeah. And a group of people. Yeah, so what happened was we turned up. The guys had the boat for two years and never rowed it once. Kind of didn't really know that until, yeah. There, I guess. And, yeah, so we had probably 30, 40 things we all need, needed for the boat to leave, like an EPIRB. <laughs> that, yeah. that needed to be registered and then update the electronic gear because yeah. that was about oh, 12 years out of date. be handy if that worked, wouldn't it? Yeah. So you do that row. So you've done a bit of ocean rowing. You're used to but you haven't done anything solo yet. No. Yeah, but with that whole team. So yeah. we left from Portugal and five days out, our watermaker broke. So it's a whole pressurised system of pipes, and yes. we didn't have pressurised pipes. So they burst. So we duct taped them up, went down to the Canaries, and when we were going down, we realised one of the guys couldn't push body weight, and he was about 130 kilos. So I was just like, um... <laughs> we asked him to leave yeah. in the Canaries, and yeah. then another guy jumped off as well. So it ended up being four of us having to push a 40-foot boat. Jesus. Yeah, we weighed about 1.3 tonne. Holy moly. And so how long does that take? So it all up took about 74 days yeah. to Cuba. Yeah. So we arrived in Barakoa. 
mm-hmm. right in the south. Yeah. And we also arrived into a military port. <laughs> so um, we had to sit on a buoy for about nine hours, about 10 metres from shore. <laughs> you just rode all the way from Portugal and you <laughs> you can hear people talking ashore and you've got to sit there tied to a buoy. Yeah, until you're laid back on, I'm sure. And then we're on hotel arrest as well for the next day Yeah, until we're all passed. And yeah, we were supposed to go to the States from there to Key West, but um, I kind of had enough of it by that stage. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few other things that went on when we were going across, like our auto helm steering, the steering cable snapped for the hydraulic steering because it was six years old and wasn't replaced. Is when you jump on a boat for yeah. something like this, you've always just replace everything. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. So you probably learned a lot on this journey, I guess, didn't you, to make your next one easier? Yeah, a lot, a lot. And also, like, my life was in someone else's hands. So yeah. really, like, yeah, solo was a lot nicer, I guess. Yeah, you enjoyed it more solo? 100%. Cool. So there we are. So you've done this. You've yeah. finished back. You've got another 12 months or so before you leave on your solo adventure. Um, so I arrived on a Mother's Day last May. May. Yeah. And I left in December. So yeah. about six months. Yeah. And what does your training look like in this? I mean, like, I don't know. I, I go to the gym and I'll you know, jump on a road and do five minutes to warm up. Do you just walk into a gym and sit on the road for six days? <laughs> I don't know. What do you do? Um, I tried it out doing three-hour ergs. So yeah. what I used to do was take the straps out. So you're just learning how to push off your legs and then max straight right up to the max resistance. So you always knew that you're not using your arms because rowing's a pushing sport and the arms are just a bonus at the end. Take the straps off. What do you mean what straps? Are the you? foot straps. Oh, yeah. Take the foot straps off. So when you push, you can't use your arms because if you try to pull with your arms too much, you go off the machine. Oh, I see. Makes sense, I guess. Your legs are way stronger than your arms. Yeah. yeah. That's the second biggest muscle in your body yeah. after your brain. Yeah. So you, you're just training and you're doing three hours on, three hours off, or do you sort of you just, oh, I, just do three hour stints when you at can? At first I was doing three hours, I guess, a lot in 2017, but when I came home after doing that team row, I mm-hmm. realised that it's actually more about body weight. Yeah. pushing rather yeah. than endurancely fit. So yeah. I did a lot more Olympic lifting. Oh, yeah? Um, a lot of strength work. Yeah, a lot of strength, but Olympic is quite mental as well because it's all about inches really yeah. and millimetres. So understanding that and your breath and everything, that helped a lot. Yeah. But then I was also doing a lot of yoga and meditation Yeah. and then just enjoying life, I guess, because yeah. you're going to be going into something that's pretty average. So just enjoy what you've got. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. Do you think it's... Mentally harder or physically harder to row an ocean? 80% mental. Really? Yeah. You don't have to be physically that fit or strong or whatever. Like the first two weeks are going to suck, whatever way you look at it. You just figure out how you can play with it, but also just know that you will not be fit enough for it. Yeah. So it's it's a 80% mental because you're not recovering, so you're not coming back to your 100% all the time, so you're always slowly deteriorating. So then, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it must almost get a little bit easier though, does it? I mean, I don't know. Obviously, I've never rode an ocean. Like, does it progressively get harder over the entire time, or do you sort of? No, nah, the point first two weeks is just like the hell. second or third, fourth day is just hell. Yeah, it's just like the walls just gone boom, yeah. hit you really hard, and then you slowly get out of it and adapt and change, and then once you're in the routine or start changing your routine or when you can figure it out, it's I guess it gets a lot easier. But then when you get closer to land, you start getting land sickness. If you start thinking about craving food or anything, you start getting sick of the boat. Yeah. So you always got to like stop thinking about yeah. like if I was listening to 
like a podcast and an American voice, sometimes I'll be thinking about pizza for about an hour or two. And I was like, oh, Isaac, you just shut those thoughts out. Because yeah. if you start thinking about that, then you're going to start thinking negative thoughts of yeah. being out here. Yeah. So you think the meditation helped with them? Oh, definitely your breath is yeah. strong. Like I remember that, yeah, the first oh, two, three days in the back, this felt like <laughs> someone's just gone over a truck really, because eh? you've had the jolting from sleeping, you're not recovering from that. And when you're on the seat, it's just, yeah, you're getting shot, thrown around as well. So, yeah, um, yeah meditation helped just to breathe out that pain from yeah. where it was or yeah. wherever you had the pains in the back or shoulder or arm. And Yeah. I also think meditation helps for controlling your thoughts. You know, I think that particularly when something is 80% mental, like you've said, you know, if it's a mental challenge, you, you've got to control your mentality, you know, the thoughts that are entering your mind and going through. You know, if you start thinking about things that you can't control or you're thinking about wanting to get out, then very quickly, you know, it can transpire to physical problems as well, I think. So, yeah. I mean, I would that would be my – I'm not telling you what happened. Yeah. I guess I'm just suggesting that maybe meditation helps with that as well. Yeah, no, meditation definitely helps control, the, you know, you've, you've breathed for a minute or two or three breaths or four breaths – you haven't thought for that long. Mm. So all of a sudden when you come back to thinking, all of a sudden you've got a bit of clarity there. Yeah. It's like, okay, what's actually what was I thinking about? Oh that. Yeah. So I guess I had a problem where I had that um my GPS turned off one night mm-hmm. while I came out of the fuse. So then the next day I had to take off the whole switch panel, which isn't that light. And then find out where the fuse went and then one fuse wouldn't yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't the best thing to wake up to, but yeah, you had to yeah. deal for about three hours and then I guess if you would start getting wound up it would quite annoy you. Yeah. So your breath helped with that. Yeah, yeah, totally. But then I also had um, yeah, water coming into two hatches for the first 12 days at first. You're taking on water. Yeah. <laughs> but I always could pump it out every six hours. It wasn't enough to yeah. like, I'm... Wasn't worrying. Yeah, you. worrying me. But I was also like on the head. It's like, where the, where's this water coming from? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess for me, it's just like... I guess my mentality was like, I'm not going to get off this boat anyway, but yeah. I guess breath. You'd fully mentally committed that you were going to make it. Yeah, even if happen. I had water on the boat coming in and yeah. I was going to go. It's funny. I think what you're talking about is relevant whether you're rowing an ocean or trying to you know, run a business or achieve some sort of physical sporting goal, I think. you know, It's got to be mental. You've got to be able to control your thoughts and your mindset towards it. You've got to be you know, entirely convinced that you're going to succeed no matter what and take whatever comes your way with a stride and in your stride. I think um, I you think could take it like it's the fun as it is. Yeah, if it's a real average situation, it's well, it's actually quite fun, you know. I've yeah. got to learn how to do that, or yeah, yeah. that's where that came from. And yeah, and you're also you've got no other option, you know. I think like it's easy to, you know, when you're in the middle of the ocean by yourself with limited resources, tools, and and assistance, it's not like you can pull out or no. try something different or you know throw in the towel sort of thing. Like you literally have no other option. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes a plan B just gives a way out, doesn't it? Yeah, but you've always got a plan for A, B, C, D, and E, and F, and G. Yeah, 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 agreed. So if we go back, you're in the Canary Islands, you start rowing. I've seen the video of you sort of pulling out from the, the jetty and you just sort of, that's it. You start, hope you don't forget your sunnies and sort yeah. of start going. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah. like the first day, you pretty much stay on the oars for about 11, 12 hours straight in. Try and get rid of land. Trying to get off the land because oh, you got a lot of currents going on and wind and you just want to get straight out into the ocean currents because that's where you're going to start getting a nice half a knot underneath you pushing and you got the waves. Yeah. And so the, obviously this event's done at a time of year where the trade winds and, and seas are going to assist you on your, on your way. Yeah. Well, most of the time the trade winds route always running that way. But then it's, I would say they should be leaving in January more. 
um, rather than anywhere in the ER. Mm-hmm. Finishes November, December, all that time, September. Yeah. You don't leave then because of hurricane season and also the trades haven't fully started or settled. And that's what we found like it was for, yeah, around February was when the trades properly started coming in. We had 15, 20 knots or 10 to 15 knots yeah. constantly. Helping you. Yeah. Did you ever go backwards? Yeah, had one night where I pretty much woke up and it's done a huge loop on myself. So all morning hit the road back on myself. I rode back onto the, where I was, back up the speed. And then um, there was another day where it was just so flat and calm and well, I'd stop rowing and all of a sudden I'd skip, start getting pushed back or again, start getting pushed north or south. And it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, great. <laughs> what do you do? Yeah, just yeah, keep social rowing. rowing, I guess. Yeah. It's something that's not going to give it to you easy. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But I guess that makes it worthwhile as well. Did you get scared ever? Not really. I guess you just got to take everything as it comes. Yeah. Yeah. So what did come? Any weather, waves, winds? Well, this year was so it was flat. Really, it was compared to the year before where they had thirty-five knots. Or we had yeah, three knots most of the time. Yeah, and I guess you're saying that as a bad thing. Thirty-five knot winds would be helpful. Is that what you're meaning? Yeah. 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 That would be very much fun as well. Like you know, that's when you start living. I guess after twenty-five knots, that's yeah. when living. That's when the fun starts. Yeah, so it was flat, but in the same time, the ocean's you know, it's pretty magical when you're in the middle of nowhere and you it's flat and it's sunny and it's nice. Yeah, apart from when you've got a row and you've got the, <laughs> <laughs> when it's it, Touché, yeah, yeah. when it's flat and then you got the sun reflection off on you yeah. and then it's like a magnifying glass. So it's yeah. like you're in 28 degree heat, but then it feels like 35, yeah. 34, and you just feel like you're just cooking there like an ant. <laughs> In the yeah. middle of nowhere. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, you're 100% right. I told you we sailed across the ocean, but that wasn't a, we had a motor, so it was a bit of a different game altogether. Yeah. Um, did you get bored at all? Were you ever like, you love it, eh? Yeah. I can tell that this is yeah. just you. Yeah. I find if you're saying it's boring out there, you're a boring person, I think. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I was always looking and scanning and looking for something. I was always looking for the little wave to help push you, or even on those calm, flat days, you're just looking for the birds to just yell at. Talk to, yeah. <laughs> look at the mahi mahi, or yeah, yeah. It was just looking and finding little things, yeah. Because every hour or half an hour out there changes. Yeah. Did you have a routine at all each day? You sort of wake up at the same time, row for a certain amount of time, eat. Or oh, give or take. I was trying to more go off the sun patterns because I found I wake up better with when it's light out rather than it's dark. You'd rather be in bed when. You can, you know, see the first light. Okay, cool. You can start slowly getting up and waking up and make your breakfast and watch the sunrise. Yeah. There was no real set, like, to do this and that. But then you'd row for about four hours or so until midday sun. Yeah. And then have about two hours off to make water and make some more lunch. Well, no, eat lunch, make afternoon tea. But that all, yeah, it was all kind of variable of what I could do. Yeah, so um, you just played it as it came. Yeah, and see how the body was going. If I needed more food or I need another meal here and there. Yeah. And then, yeah, row for another four hours in the afternoon. Yeah. So how many hours a day are you rowing for? About 12, plus or minus. 12 hours a day. And then out of the, re- the remaining 12 hours, how much are you sleeping? Oh, maybe seven or eight hours seven at night. Seven or eight hours, yeah. At, and then in the midday sun, like you could lie down for half an hour, 20 minutes, and then you wake up and you're just in a ball of sweat. <laughs> And it's just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you try to sleep again. It's like you can't because it's just so restless. Yeah. But you need that bit of time off just on the legs just to help yes. you keep going again. What was sleep like though? Like, you're really, I've seen your boat. It's not luxurious by any means. Like, do you actually sleep well? well I kind of made it as luxury as I could. So I had some fairy down pillows that Brownie's mattress gave us. Yeah. And then I had a fairy down blanket. So I kind of 
used it at first when I was a bit colder, but then once you're getting closer to the equator, it was just so hot, so you just packed it on the side. So, And also the sheepskin as well, um, which I lay on. Yeah, no, I could sleep for a good four or five hours, give or take. Um, and then you roll over, wake up, it's hot, you have to open up the hatch, get a bit of air in and then close it. Yeah. But then when you're sleeping, you'd have to be in like the recovery position a bit. So you'd one leg always crooked to one side. So you wouldn't to, roll. Yeah, so you'd yeah. brace yourself. Yeah, a wave ever hit. Yeah, and then you had to ferry down pillows where you just put yourself in the nook. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then by the end, because of the body deterioration, it was a lot harder to sleep because you couldn't lie on your hip for too long because there was no muscle or fat in there anymore and then your shoulders just too sore on one side. And yeah. Yeah. Far out. Did you see anything crazy out there? I know the stars are amazing when you're in the middle oh, of the ocean. the best was the winter equinox. So the moon and the sun was up at the same point. Like So the sun was setting and the moon was rising mm-hmm. and they were like at pretty much the same spot. Yeah. That was really cool to see. I bet. Animals, fish, sharks. Yeah. So I had three storm petrels. So it looked like little sparrows. Maybe oh. Oh, a bit bigger than a little sparrow, but mm-hmm. kind of looked like one of those. Um, they followed me the whole time. Really? So they'll come past the boat every day. Did you name them? Yeah, Peter uh, Peter Pan. <laughs> Peter. You're like Castaway, mate. You yeah. got this ball called Wilson, you know, yeah. like Tom Hanks. <laughs> was it Peter Pan and Ray? And there were some <laughs> other ones as well. Yeah. Yeah. Sharks or anything? Oh, there was maybe one day where I jumped off. The bungee fell off, so I was like, oh, let's not give back more to this pollution if we've got mm. in the ocean. So I jumped in and grabbed the bungee because mm. I also didn't want to make another bungee up. Yeah. And then I went jump back on the boat. Some little shark. I saw one little, like, it wasn't, like, huge, huge. It was something that kind of swam around. I was like, oh, yeah, something's there. Yeah. And then there was one, I think it was twice where I think I might have seen a marlin. Definitely once I had it. I've got it on camera. It's on the Instagram and Facebook page. Yeah. You can see, like, the size of the marlin. It was two metres I kind of yeah came out from a nap, and I just looked behind me, and all of a sudden I just see this fin sticking out. I'm like, oh, it's a big girl, eh? You had a line with you? I had a couple of um, hand reels, but for that one, <laughs> nothing, I was, nothing for a twenty, <laughs> a two meter marlin. I guess. Nah, I was thinking um, I had a boat hook off one of those fishing hooks, like a those, gaff sort of thing. Yeah, gaff. Yeah. So I had one of those. So I was thinking of catching a mahi and then chucking a fillet on it, yeah, and then tying it off to a strong point onto one of the boats and yeah. then see how it happens. But I was still three or four days off from land, so I was like. You know, got to carry this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to put it on the roof. Mate, what a story that'd be <laughs> if you pulled up and into you with a marlin as well. Yeah. So that would have been great. But then the other stuff I saw, I had a turtle come by um, one of my mate's anniversaries. So it was a completely calm, flat day, and he came along and banged against the hull for about an hour. Really? And then I jumped in, and he buggered off after it. And then, yeah, had mahi. Mahi were following me the whole time as well. So I caught three mahi. Did you? Yeah, there was six, I think, that started off with them. Yeah. And then, yeah, just three at the end or two. Yeah, you ate them, obviously. Yeah. Did you get sick at all? No, I had a wee bit of unknown anxiousness or a bit of that, you know, people call it seasickness. Yeah. But it was more because of the unknown and also a bit of the land type of, you know, feelings from you can worry from your parents and stuff. Yeah. But once you're gone from the land and once you say goodbye to it, it's great. Yeah, yeah. You're into it. What was the hardest part of everything? You know, you look at the from the moment you decided to do this to you know when you pull up in, in Antigua. Mm. Listening to you, it sounds like the rowing was almost easier for you, the easiest part. Yeah. What was the hardest part? I guess trying to find sponsors, doing, I guess wordy stuff. You know, being dyslexic, it's quite yeah, not the easiest of all. Trying to figure out the business language. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the hardest was trying to find a sponsor. How much did it cost to do something like this? 
about 100 plus. Yeah. But that's because we also went on an event. Yes, I see. Um, entry fee. And stuff. Entry fee was yeah, ridiculously stupid for what you get. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so when you're talking about sponsorship, people helping you with that money to actually make it happen. Yeah. You obviously covered your costs, so you sort of – paying it off or you, you through sponsorship you managed to get it sorted yeah or well, by the end um someone came on and gave a decent donation so yeah. yeah that covered all the other debts that i had yeah you know when you got there did you feel like successful like did you feel like i've done this is it was it a huge elation was it sort of like right this is i know what i want to do now what was, what was the sort of feeling when you get there <sighs> it's a mixture so it's like i guess now or after it's like okay cool the sky's the limit for what you can do in life. Mm-hmm. It's only you that's going to hold yourself back. But I guess also for me, I didn't understand what I've done. I felt like I had discipline. I was in a dream for 70 days and just woken up and I was in Antigua. It just went like that. Really? That quick. 70 days, just it, like that. Yeah, and that's how it felt when I came on the land. I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Hi, Mum. Hi, Dad. Hey, Sister. How you going? Like, it just didn't feel like, I, yeah, that's gone on, but it took me probably another 70 plus days back on land to figure out that I've actually done what I've done. Yeah. Yeah. And how's it feel now? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. I just want to go back out there, I guess. Yeah. Mate, it's an unbelievable feat of mental and physical toughness, I think. I think you definitely deserve to be um, chuffed with your effort at the very least. Like, yeah. I don't know. You're the first New Zealander to row the Atlantic. There's probably only a handful of people that have ever done anything similar. There's yeah. less than 50 people in the world. That have rowed the Atlantic solo. Mate, it's a pretty elite club to be a part of. Yeah. You should be proud. What next? I guess now going around schools, talking about what I've done and also about positive mental health mm-hmm. and just kind of teaching people eight keys that's helped me through life and actually quite relatable to people as well, which we're figuring out more and more that, you know, what I'm talking about, it's, yeah, it's not rocket science. Do you have a clear mission? What is it? I guess for me just to go around to schools or go around the country I want to is take the boat around the country and talk about the journey and talk about positive mental health, mm-hmm. you know, talk about the issue that we have. You, you yeah. did it because you had a, a couple of friends and an auntie mm. commit suicide. Yeah. It happens often. What made you sort of go, I want to do something about it? I guess for me, I felt like I couldn't really be myself with people. When I was meeting them and working in Croatia on those boats, it's like, oh, yeah, I am kind of holding something back because of this and kind of felt a bit embarrassed about it. Where it's like, well, should I really be embarrassed about it? Or because it's always, it's keeping on going and going. What are you embarrassed about, you mean? Sorry. Oh, I guess I was embarrassed that it's happened to me. Yeah. You know? You've had friends that have committed yeah, Or people that's killed themselves. It's like, oh, I shouldn't, you know. It's, yeah. I guess a bit embarrassed or ashamed that it happened. And they were also so close. And, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's weird. obviously it's important to you. Yeah. And then for me, it's like, well, the issue's not really changing. There's not many people out here talking and doing much. But it needs to change your attitudes and the way we think and talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. It is a bit taboo, isn't it, when you think about suicide and mental health. I think, um, you know, it's a tough conversation for anyone to talk about. Yeah. You know, do you think what you're doing, you're trying to change that, and then in fact that it's a bit more open to talk about? Yeah, for sure. I think now thinking about it and talking about it a bit more, I think it's everyone's right who's lost someone to suicide to actually talk about it and to be open about it a bit yeah. more and just make it less of a yeah, taboo Yeah. and say, well, this has happened to me, how can we – learn from this yeah because you know like we talked about before this you're speaking at a number of different schools and one of them you've been at recently they had you know they've got under 500 kids and they had four suicides within 12 months mm. that's nuts i don't think new zealanders understand how prevalent this is no. and i don't know the stats about it is it 
particularly in young people, or is it sort of? So I think youth is the highest, and then males after that. Yeah, young males from twenty to thirty-five or forty-five. Yeah. So it's it's high, and then you know I guess some also aren't re- like aren't classed as suicides if it's under age of eleven. It's classed as accidental. Yeah. And there are also some of those going on. And also, yes, all the ones in car crashes or if you've got drugs or alcohol in your system, it's classed as accidental. So the number's higher than we actually think. Yeah. And, yeah, we're controlled by the media. Well, the law restricts the media from telling, you mm. know, from so that's probably why, you know, a lot of people don't know the, the scale of it. We see an annual figure, you know, which is released, but it's hard to give it scale. You know, when you say that out of a school of 500 people, you know, four of them have committed suicide in 12 months. You're looking at, you know, close to 1% of the school's population are, yeah. are committing suicide annually. Yeah. Gives you a bit of perspective on it. What's the answer? <sighs> there isn't, I don't, like, yeah, you don't know. Because yeah. you never have the answer why answered. So yeah. we always have that question of, oh, it's this one or it's that one. And we always want to put a finger on it, why this, this, and this. Well, <sighs> I guess maybe the an answer could be is we always have we've had help through our whole lives. We've had help from being fed from our parents who are younger, getting our nappies changed, to going to school, being learning how to read, writing, all that. So when it comes to if you're feeling like shit and you're thinking suicidal or whatever, more than once or twice a week, go in this talk. I yeah. guess go get some help. You know, it's for males. Or I guess whatever you get. You've got help for learning how to share, to learn how to lift weights, or to learn how to play rugby. Yeah, it's, there's always been assistance there, and there's always been assistance. So why can't you get assistance if your head's a bit weird? Yeah, or you're thinking a bit like this or that, and yeah. just make it normal. Yeah, where can people get assistance? I'm not. I don't, I don't know if you know the answer, but you know, there, there, there's obviously organisations. But I think is there somewhere that you know of that's sort of particularly helpful for for young men? If we're going to focus on that. Um, for young men, not really, but I know, I guess I'm hope mm-hmm. at the moment with, you get free kids counselling and I think they want to roll out for young people free mm-hmm. counselling so you can know you can go to that organisation and ask, hey, can I get counselling this way? Yeah. That's the way I know we, it's a lifeline or helpline and yeah. all that. Yeah, totally. Do you think, you know, there needs to be a bit of work? That sort of stuff, if you look at the analogy, is kind of ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. It's like, right, if you get to the point where you are considering something like this, here's mm. some options for you. Yeah. Do you think we need to have think a bit further backwards and say, all right, how are people getting to this stage of their life yeah. and what can we do before they get there to give them the skills and the ability to confront or not even get there in the first place? Yeah, there definitely has to be things put in place. It's like I guess when I talk about my speech, I talk about the bees and it's talking about brushing your teeth, eating healthy, exercising, sleeping and showering. Let's do basic things that make you feel good in your days. Yeah. Like do an hour every day of exercise. Yeah. Just hour for your body. Yeah. Go for a walk, go to the gym or something, and that's going to make you feel a lot better for yourself long term. But then yeah. <laughs> you've got so many other cases as well yeah. with it. It's like, I guess yeah. you've got kids with sexual abuse, so you've already had the childhood yeah. trauma effects and yeah. all those things. So it's, you know, you've got also all the other allergy. It's all well, happy kids, happy adults. 
Yeah, mate, it's a um, it's a huge issue to tackle, and I don't think that obviously you and I aren't going to come up with any answers. Oh, definitely not. Now, can... but it's um, I think you're obviously doing the right thing by sort of trying to raise awareness and um, you know, encourage people to talk about it because I think. Hey, look, if, if someone's feeling like this, they probably feel helpless. You know, mm. like you must be, it must be of absolute hopelessness. And, yeah. and I think that if there's someone like you that's done what you've done, that's sort of standing up and saying, hey, look, here's a direction you can go in, or this is important, or, you know, it, it may help reduce that feeling of sort of. Yeah. yeah. Also, even it's like your mates at the pub, it should be a conversation where I guess it's annoying you could have alcohol involved, but yeah. you could make it where you're having a cup of tea or something with your mates. And it's like, well, Hey, I've thought like this today, you know, and most people might be able to say, oh, "Who else have felt like this?" And maybe you can make a yeah. make it more conversational, yeah. more open. But then I guess the other problem is when you see your mates, it's the weekend. Yeah, you want to have fun with them. So yeah, it's yeah. that yeah, that yeah. weird sword there. What do you think you should do if you do hear something like that from a mate? I guess listen to them first. Don't really give them advice, you know. Maybe give it ninety seconds for yourself to understand it or maybe wait 90 minutes mm -hmm. and then say something to them or come back to them the next day yeah. you know like don't directly go oh don't be like this or don't be like that why are you yeah. like that it's like no nah. just be more use your ears and then yeah. use your voice later yeah totally that's really good advice yeah it's a huge issue it's sad that new zealand's at the forefront of that statistic and it's not something you ever want to be but no. um it is what it is and i think yeah like i said before you, you're talking about it is at least sort of bringing it to the forefront and, yeah. and you know some pretty incredible stuff to try and get your message out there as well to move back i guess a little bit more towards you yeah. i heard you say in an interview that you and you said it, you alluded to it earlier before that you kind of feel like you could do anything you put your mind to now and like i absolutely believe in you listen, listen yeah. to you speak but i want to know where that came from because you know is that something that was instilled in you from parents from teachers is it sort of just been you the whole way along because I think that's potentially a, a problem you know it's like it's like people don't think that they're capable of, of a mm. lot of things and if people are feeling helpless whereas you know you're on the other hand is sort of going oh, I can do anything I want you know where did you get that from? I guess childhood seeing dads come from Germany and then started the most southern vineyard in the world at the time and it's kind of like well they don't know anything about growing grapes they had some little pet grapes on the side in the back of the house in Germany and then yeah, so oh, let's try that. So it's kind of that, I guess, that attitude that's kind of come on from me. Even Dad has seen, well, he can make wine. Well, why can't I row an ocean? Or I guess, yeah, that's maybe one of them. But then also for me, being dyslexic, it's been a struggle just to pass year 13. I had like three or four tutors just to try to help me pass. And then uni as well, you know, struggling trying to get through there and, you know, passing. And once you realise you can do that and... Yeah, little goals and little steps. It just yeah. helps you know you can do those things yeah. along the way. I think reminding, you know, seeing challenges that you've already overcome or or things that you've already conquered is a really strong fuel for powering yourself forward and, and new adventures, I think. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about your, your being dyslexic. So I don't know, I don't really understand dyslexia very much, but it, you probably had to try a lot harder than, than most. Yeah. No, I definitely had to. Like, I guess when we found out, like... I think my year eight teacher saw that I was quite struggling and then said, oh, have you been tested? And then figured out that I was dyslexic. So I was think I was when I was 12, I was reading at like an eight-year-old level. And then, you know, a whole year of just having two tutors just to try help sort it all out. And then, you know, going from there with it. So for me, my dyslexia, I guess, is takes a lot of time to understand something. It might take you a bit longer, but then once I've got it, I've got it. Yeah. But yeah, numbers is definitely not my... <laughs> 
Strong point. Yeah. Or reading. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, overcoming challenges like dyslexia has helped you be able to, you know, do what you're doing now? Yeah. Like I still struggle with my dyslexia. That's why I've got, a, I guess, a speaking coach and ask someone to look over always my social media posts or anything just to make sure the spelling, everything's up to scratch. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I guess it's, yeah, definitely helped me go forward. Yeah. But also it's nice being dyslexic because you also think of things a bit differently. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like, well, how am I going to learn this? We had it like, you know, there's 50 ways, 60 ways to skin a cat. Yeah. So for me, it's like I've got to find a way that's going to help me yeah. get to my end goal. And I think sometimes if you look at something like, like you're right, you just instantly said, oh, maybe this is my superpower. You know, like yeah. you, you've got the ability now that you're forced to look at things differently. Mm. And sometimes that can cause you to come up with exactly the answer that's needed. Yeah. Same answer someone's going for, but it might not be the, I guess the way we've been taught at schools that we're all apples and oranges. This is the answer here. Yeah, we'll know, yeah. We're all, you know, yeah. maybe on an avocado. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like the analogy. I've done some fundraising in, in the past with, you know, an event I did and I understand the challenges and I've spoken to Alex Reese from the Cricket Live Foundation on this as well and and we talked about that as well. But what are the, some of the, the challenges or the obstacles you faced with regards to, you know, fundraising and charities and, um, you know, trying to make sure that your efforts are going to the right places? Uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, it's quite hard um, to start off with. Yeah, just to find, for the whole project, it was quite hard to even find a charity for New Zealand that wanted to align themselves with me and also that was up to our standard with a logo. I guess that's a pretty <laughs> straightforward <laughs> was, one. Isn't that weird that it's a struggle to find someone, a group to give money to? Yeah, and raise awareness as well for them. Yeah. Help promote their brand. Yeah. 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 You find it quite crazy, yeah. but it's happened. But, yeah, I guess trying to get raised money and doing all that was quite hard, but um, we had a fundraiser at the Elmwood Trading Company mm-hmm. and raised about 19 grand for charity. Wow. So it was quite cool. Yeah. yeah. And what about now, you know, like where you're at now, what are you trying to do, you know, and how, how else are you? Obviously you're talking at schools, but you're sort of, are you looking for assistance and help or are you, is there... Yeah, I'm trying to find some help or some assistance to help me so I can go on a road trip around the country and show the boat and mm-hmm. go to a remote place in New Zealand that don't really get mm-hmm. speakers or get to see an ocean rowing boat because yeah. there hasn't been I think, anyone from the South Island that's rowed before. Yeah. They've all been North Islanders. Yeah. So, you know, give back something to the mainland a bit more and go as far as bluff to Cape Ranga, copper thing. Yeah, and it. you want to drive just talking to schools is obviously where you're Schools and also... Everyone, really. Yeah. Even New Zealander. Because the message what I'm talking about is, yeah, it's straightforward. Uh, it's quite relevant to everyone. What's the message? Well, I guess there's eight keys that's helped me, but mm-hmm. the main, like the ones that's a lot of people, are, you know, like a lot is, you know, life isn't a race, find your own pace. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be ups and downs, keep rowing. And then I guess the bees as well. Yeah. Brush your teeth, exercise, eat healthy and sleep and shower. Yeah. Simple things like that. Or yeah. make your bed as well if you want to yeah. put that in there. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, um, bit of a tangent, but did you appreciate things a lot more like oh, yeah. after being in a boat for 70 days? Like the little things? Like, yeah. Or well, being out there for 143, yeah, it's definitely like um, bread. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bread and cheese, it's amazing. Even fried food like that. It's just like, yeah, <laughs> that's outstanding, that stuff. Um, yeah. Even cold drinks. Of course, it would have been warm when you're in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. Sleep. Yeah. I can't get up early in the morning these days, eh? 
Not a morning guy. Nah, not anymore. <laughs> nah, I can definitely go on to the night, but late night. But yeah, when it comes to mornings, nah, yeah. it's a struggle. Yeah, I, sorry to switch you back off mm. that tangent, but I, I'm sort of not concerned, but it's weird that you know we've got this problem in New Zealand, and then there's someone like you that wants to raise awareness, wants to do a good thing, has got a phenomenal story because you've rode across the ocean, and it's a struggle for you to find charities to support. It's a struggle for you to find assistance. It's a struggle for you. I mean, it seems like every man and his dog is trying to do something to help mental health. Does it feel like that from your point of view? Well, every man and dog doing something. Well, it just seems like, I don't know, it just seems like every, you know, on radio or TV, someone's doing something to raise money for mental health or awareness and, and here's you trying to do it and you and you can't seem to get much in the way of people just buying into sharing your story even. Yeah, it's quite annoying to be honest with you. There's, I guess there is some people, but then, yeah, it's kind of like what have they done with it or what have they done to get to what they're talking about or what they're doing it's uh for me it's just yeah i guess it is a bit frustrating but for me it's just how i was going to keep on going because for me going to those schools last week and talking to those kids who've lost mates and brothers or sisters it's like well it's worth it in a day giving my time for free and volunteering yeah. you know it's yeah. yeah being a surf lifeguard volunteering you know 20 30 hours a day or a week a year just to go save someone on the beach you know i've saved yeah. four or five people's lives already so it's like those people wouldn't have been there if I didn't do that. So yeah. for me, it's frustrating, but for me, it's just like I just keep be patient with it all and yeah. saying it will come, hopefully. Yeah. Because yeah. it does come. Yeah. Like I found out with the road, like the money didn't, for my debt, wasn't covered until a day out or two days before I landed. So yeah. Yeah. Patience, eh? Yeah. Yeah. I'm reading, I'm reading the book um, Grit at the moment. I don't know if you heard it by Angela Duckworth. And, um, you know, I think that. And what you've done is amazing, but I think what you've got is rare, you know, and that's that sort of exactly what you've just alluded to. That And she calls grit passion and perseverance in the pursuit of hard goals. You know, you've set yourself a hard goal and you worked on it. What, how, two years you spent working on, on this? Longer? I guess so. Yeah. Well, the idea was in the head from 2016, start, yeah. you know, told the family, started most of it in 2017, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's it's rare these days for people to commit themselves to long-term challenges like this to say, look, hey, I'm going to spend the next 24, 36 months of my life working towards this goal. You know, like people do like, you know, dry July or, you know, they don't have a drink of booze yeah. for a month, you know, and they, and, and which is great. I'm not, not mocking that by any means, but, you know, it's to do something for such an extended period of time is rare and I think yeah. you should but, be proud of that. I also think that you get a lot more satisfaction when – you complete something that's taking you so long as well, would you agree? Yeah, yeah for sure. It does satisfy because there's so much effort that goes into it. But then it's like, I guess when I finished, I was kind of quite upset. It's like, oh, two years and it's done. It's like, I could have actually stayed out for another 70 days because it was just like, oh, yeah. Started to find a routine, <laughs> started to get to know the boat. There was good waves, there was good wind. It all started coming nicely together, you know. But I guess that's for the next trip. Yeah, so what's the next trip? Oh, there's two I guess I would like to go for. It's either the Pacific or the Southern Ocean, but they're two different beasts in itself. I guess the Pacific is a big slog. It's about 200 days just rowing. And Holy moly. Where, where from in the Pacific? Oh, there's two routes I'd like to go. I'd like to take some people or some boys yeah. <laughs> um, through the equatorial current. So from Malaysia to South America there. 
in between the equator. There's a little current and it's quite hot and <laughs> no stars. So we're quite an eerie and quite a little good scientific experiment. No experience. stars? Yeah, they equated there's no stars. Really? Yeah. Did not know that. Or go solo from um, San Francisco to Auckland, but then I think the current doesn't San Francisco you... to Auckland. <laughs> yeah. That's a long flight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's about 200 days plus. But the only problem with doing that trip is not you can't drop them down to New Zealand's in absolute bull luck. So you either have to go to Cairns where most people go for yeah. that route. So last, I think the guy just completed an American 325 days. From San Francisco? Washington State to Cairns. That's almost a year, 325 days. It's only like a, a month off a whole year. Yeah, but his boat weighed about 1.2 tonnes to start with. So Yeah. Do you need like resupplies on a journey like that? He was the first person to be unsupported. Unsupported? So he didn't get support the whole way, so... He didn't get anything, but there was another guy who had to get resupplied in Vanuatu. Mm-hmm. So it was like maybe 200, 180 days, first time he saw land. And he's sitting there, there's a cool photo on his TED Talk, and he's sitting there eating cornflakes underneath the volcano, and it's the first time we saw land for 180, 190 days. Really? Yeah. Wired differently, eh? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like, in the nicest way and you're just like like there's I mean there's just 50 people in the world that have done it like it's just a it's a challenge that most people can't even understand yeah because most people know Rowan is 2,000 metres yeah yeah or you know like me a five minute warm up before you know you start working mm. out like it's a, yeah but then the other one I would like those to southern but then that's a complete different girl in itself like that's where the, our weather systems and yeah. storms all come from yeah there's been six or seven people have attempted it, and there's only one person that's done any one leg of it. So it was this year. His name's Fedor, mm-hmm. Russian guy. He's the oldest person to row an ocean solo at 63. <laughs> so he went from Dunedin to Cape Horn. Jeepers. For 143 days. That's not a pleasant place to be. Nah, for 143 in the roaring 40, days. Yeah, roaring 40s. So yeah. you've got, he was saying, I think he was in storms, and there was being 19 meter swells. And you can't see anything because it's a little white as <laughs> in well. In a seven-meter boat. Seven, eight meters, but yeah. I don't know how big his boat was, but it's decent uh, size. Yeah. Mate, you are um, kudos to you. Not for me, but um, <laughs> man, good on you. What are you most proud of? You know, like when you think about it now and, and all the stuff you've done and the things you've seen and, and the, you know, the, the people you've helped, what are you most proud of when you think about it? I've never really been asked that question. I guess I was able to accomplish something that, I guess all that paperwork stuff, all that like doing emails, doing business plans, all these things I've never done before or had to try to do, it's like, oh, cool, I actually can do these things now. And then, yeah, I guess all the whole problem solving of figuring out, like write, like with lists, writing things out or getting things off your head when I was out there just talking to a camera, it's like, I don't know, being able to figure out things yourself or just doing little tasks that people tell you to do. And it's like, oh, do they actually work? And then all of a sudden you do them. It's like, oh, actually, yeah. yeah. Like of writing things down, getting yeah. write a list. If you got so, if you're real confused of what you need to do next or anything, write it down. All of a sudden, it goes, oh, that helps. <laughs> or um, yeah. even like with yoga and meditation, I was like thinking, oh, that's all full of rubbish, right, right, right. And then it was that stretch where you, you say it on the podcast, where you crook your leg over one way, oh yes, and you go like that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shoulder. So you lie on your back and you sort of bring one leg up across your body and then your arm reaches the other way across your body. Yeah, yeah. and the more you relax, the more you breathe into it, the bigger the stretches. Yeah. So like those things, it's 
you're proud that I can figure out, oh, that's something that yeah, yeah. yeah, works. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Isn't it amazing, you know, like you've rode across an ocean and, and what you're proud of is things that, you know, sending emails and writing a business plan and, and stuff like that. I think it just highlights that, you know, everyone's different and, you know, what is easy for some people is a challenge for other people and that, you know, if anything, we should be grateful for what we have and, mm. you know, there's an opportunity and, and what you've sort of highlighted is that I think that we're probably all capable of a bit more than we think. Oh, definitely. Like we're the only ones that are going to be holding ourselves back, for sure. With only ones that can have their little self doubt in the head saying, yeah. or that thing saying, oh, no, you can't do that. Or, no, 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 you can't do this or that. It's like, well, you actually can if you put your mind to it and say, well, I want to do that. Yeah. Like, if you say to yourself, you want to run an ocean, I think you really have 50% kind of made it and said, because you've really t- said you want to do it and you've told people yeah. you will do it. Yeah. Because it'll be on your mind. Because that's for sure it will be on your mind wanting to do it. Yeah, yeah. What was it like when you told people? When you said, hey, I've got something to tell you, I'm going to row across an ocean. Um, some were like a bit like, oh, you're absolutely crazy, but then they're like, oh, it's Isaac. Yeah, he'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some of them were like, yeah, okay, he's crazy enough, he'll do it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I rode a rickshaw from one end of India to the other, mm. and I, I got everyone to write down their reactions when they told me when I told them what I was going to do. And when you look back on it, it's really interesting to see how different people reacted to different things. You know, some people were like, you just want a free holiday. Some people, obviously, that's great. And some people were like, oh, you could raise more money than that. Or some people were. But, you know, some people are like, it's that's why I asked the question. It's just because sometimes not everyone thinks what you're doing is possible. Or good enough. Or Yeah, well, that's when I was out there. I was getting told from people to go faster. Or to go race and try to beat people. I'm yeah. like, usually on holiday, I'm like, are you, you're fucking kidding me right now, right? Yeah. Like, you come out here and you write. Yeah. Are you, are you, the, are you like, also, it's like for me, it's like, are you the one that's kind of gone out and told people about your, the people that you've lost a suicide and talked about that? No. Yeah. Are you the one that wants to go out there solo and right? No. Yeah. So, what are you, why are you telling me to be, do better yeah. and do this when yeah. you're the one sitting on the sofa drinking wine and. Yeah messaging you with one hand while they've got oh, Netflix in the background telling you to row faster. Yeah, well, you've had two years and you should be doing this better for your social media and this. And it's like, well, you could have helped me out. It was yeah. just me doing it all. Yeah. So it's just like sometimes you can get fucked, really. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I think it's – um a lot of haters out there. There are, particularly with the ease of the internet, you know, like it's, it's people that – a lot of these people wouldn't say this sort of thing to your face, you know, like if they were, you know, mm. sitting in your boat with you, I doubt they're going to tell you yeah. that, but it's um, – Because they'll be in the same pain as well with you. Yeah, they understand exactly what you're going through. Yeah. It is tough, but I think having a really strong reason why you're doing it is really powerful, you know, mm. knowing that you're doing this for something more than yourself. You know, for you it was for your mates and your auntie and, you know, for other people that are that are suffering and, um, you know, for a country that's got a statistic that no one likes to talk about. You yeah. know, you're we're, doing, we're in a crisis really, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. And, and so, you know, you've got a, a strong reason why to continue. Yeah. Whereas I think if people don't have that, when people start getting that sort of feedback, it can be really hard to continue. Yeah, and I guess that's probably where I had some of my darkest days from people telling me oh, I should be doing more and better. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah, is it not good enough for you? Yeah, I'm trying really hard. <laughs> I'm trying as hard as I can and I'm just trying to enjoy the moment so I'm not hating it. Yeah. You know, I've spent two years of my life trying to do it. Why can't I just sit here and enjoy it? Yeah. I'm not here to race. Yeah. Because I want to be the one that wins it by watching my sunrises and sunsets. Yeah. That's yeah. the real winner of it for me. 
Yeah. Because those other guys that came first, well, they didn't go fishing probably once. Yeah. Did they sit there and enjoy a meal while watching the sunset going down? Probably not. Yeah. Did they enjoy watching that moon rising? Probably not. Yeah. And then did they row the whole ocean? No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think what you're alluding to is is that everyone's got a different version of success, you know. Yeah. Everyone's got, for some people it's getting first, for some people it's enjoying the ride, for some people it's raising money, for some people it's, you know, when you think about outside that, for some people success is having a lovely family, whereas some people who are having success is driving a nice car, and for some people having success is travelling the world. And mm. I think that you know, maybe as human beings we need a bit of empathy towards other people that not oh, everyone definitely. wants the same thing that we want, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, you know, hey, look, the guy that won the race, that might have been his goal. Yeah. And he's like, well, I've succeeded. And then to you, you're like, hey, look, I raised awareness, enjoyed the trip, you know, completed it. That was my yeah. success. You're just as successful as yeah. he was, really. Yeah, I guess so, in a degree. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We all look at it differently, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think having empathy towards that is really important. Well, you're 60 ways to skin a cat, there's 60 ways to row an ocean. Yeah, yeah. And for solos, there's probably less than, there's been less than 60 people. So yeah, yeah. how do we know what's the right way or the wrong way? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I think sometimes people are also a bit scared to commit to a long-term goal in case they don't do it. It's a challenge for people to say, I want to do this, you know, like I'm going to row an ocean because you sort of put yourself out there and you give yourself potential to fail as well, you know, like, and if you do fail, there'll be people that say, "Mm, I knew you wouldn't do it. And it's a bit of a risk. You sort of socially, you take a social step out and out of your comfort zone when you commit to a hard goal. Well, that's what I felt like when I... um wasn't allowed to go in 2017 like I failed like yeah. I let so many people down let myself down and family and all that and sponsors because I said I wanted to go but yeah it's just one of those things that happens with it and it just makes the story even better and yeah yeah but the yeah. thing is you did persevere you know and you kept going and it took you another 12 months but you did it in the end and that's the main yeah. thing I think and and like I said you had a strong reason and a strong drive and that's probably yeah. Part and parcel, the reason. Hey, mate, um, how can people find you, follow you, keep up with what you're doing, get you to speak at their school or whatever it is? Um, TheBlueRower.com or the Blue Rower on Instagram and Facebook. Mm-hmm. Isaac Geeson on LinkedIn, also yep. the other way of finding me. Yeah. How can people support you? Support me. If, you, if there's people listening to this now that said, hey, I really think what he's doing is a great thing, I would love to you know, I don't know, do something or support you or in any way. Yeah. Like, are you well, looking for more speaking opportunities? Are you? Yeah, yeah, more speaking or just even the help out with me going on a tour around the country. Yeah. Go on the website and get in contact with email and yep. start a conversation from there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Mate, you are a legend. You've a uh, got a hell of a story. I, I have no doubt you'll continue to be successful, whatever you do, and I hope to um, see you successfully row more oceans and and but most importantly you know you've got a a pretty sincere mission and i wish you all Mm. the best on it yeah thank you good luck yes there he is mr isaac geeson aka the blue rower um man what a cool guy what an incredible story what a great mission he's on he's uh certainly fighting the good fight thank you so much to isaac for jumping on the podcast and of course thank you to you for listening i hand on heart man i appreciate the hell out of you thank you so much um if you want to do a couple of things to support the podcast and if you enjoy the episodes or take any sort of value out of them then you could jump on itunes and leave a positive review you could share the podcast with someone simply by pressing the share button on which whichever platform you're listening to this podcast on or simply tell 
someone old school just tell someone you enjoyed the podcast and tell them to check it out that's how we grow and that's how I get to do more of these as well other than that that's it from me thank you so much for tuning in have a great day talk to you soon bye